Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here he is, uh, his entourage is waiting out in the other room, eating cake and cookies and coffee supplied by my house every time they show up. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning, Zab. How are you? Good. A little wet out there, but you know, that's all right. You know, if the, let's say the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, the weather forecast didn't say all this moisture. Uh, But you know, it settles the dust a little and it'll slow the farmers down a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I know some of them are on the waning stages that wanted to get finished this week oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> real close tip that mic down just a touch How's that? You? no you're perfect okay i mean you're not perfect yes i'm not perfect but uh, anyhow uh what is the subject matter for today well you know you mentioned that you had a caller uh that really enjoyed listening to stories that happened close by here yeah. here in southern idaho yeah. and i'm going to use this book that i used last week by this guy named charles walgamot that uh, came here as a 19-year-old boy and lived here and married and one thing or another. Where did he come from? Uh, he actually came from... Uh, it was back, back east, east someplace, uh, yeah. Iowa. Actually. Iowa. He was uh, from Iowa. But he came back out here and worked at the stage stations with his sisters and brother-in-laws. Yeah. And anyway, so these Over are, here at Stricker's? Right, and That's over it. at uh, City of Rocks. He was over there, too. Both of Part them. of the time, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I like his stories because they're pretty much right on the money, I believe. You know, does it ever occur to you, I'm sure it does, when you're reading all these history books and everything, that distance and time in the 1800s was basically irrelevant. If they had to go from Raft River over here to Stricker's, it was no big deal. It no. might take a couple of days, but, yeah, it, you but know. just jump on a horse and little, go. Uh, uh, beef jerky, and you're on your way. Yeah, you're on your way. So, okay. So today we're going to talk about a couple of bears. Like in? Bear. Bear. Okay. We're going to talk about a bear by the name of Idaho Jack. Have you ever heard of that one, Zeb? It may not. I don't not think have. I have. Well, Idaho Jack was a what they call a cinnamon bear. Now I checked on a cinnamon bear is basically some say they think it's a subspecies of black bear, and others say no, it's just a black bear that has this. <coughs> excuse me, has this uh, kind of a cinnamony tan fur that's maybe a little longer. So kind of a, it's a black. Bear, bear with the uh, he forgot that he was a black bear and he turned into a red bear. Yeah, kind of a reddish, but yeah. uh, and not a big bear, not huge. These uh, the black bears usually maybe from the low end two hundred pounds up to maybe six hundred or more. Yeah, but keep in mind if you're up in the woods and you run into a bear, literally, who cares how big it is? Because <laughs> he could probably outrun me. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, Idaho Jack was what they called a cinnamon bear, and called by some a silver tip and reckoned to be the actually the largest bear of any species uh, encountered in the Sawtooth Mountains, uh, which, of course, we know around us right here in Idaho, a lot of bears, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, you know, in the early days, yeah. thousands of bears. Well, the story of Idaho Jack and his uh, ultimate capture had its beginning in the spring of 1882 when word was brought into the new t- mining town of Haley. Now, you know where Haley is. It's about, yeah. what, 60 miles north of us right here? Yeah, somewhere like something that. like that, yeah. Well, Haley was a... Uh, uh, the, News came that there was a rich silver lead strike that had been made on the Little Wood River, and the exact location was kept secret for a few days to give the people that discovered it there and their friends time to uh, 
file on the on the mine itself. Have so, you been up to a lot of those mines? I, I've been to a few. I've been to a few, and I, but I love going up and seeing the old thing. You know what's left of them, and right. this particular one, there's nothing left. Okay. Okay. But the original discovery uh, found that this was rich in silver and reported to be a big find. The original uh, discovery was called by the locators, and you've heard of this, Muldoon. Yeah. Okay, so Muldoon is actually about 20 miles east of Haley. Right. So it's kind of in the middle of our state, and uh, it was silver and lead, and at one time had about 1,500 people. And It did? Yeah. I and, didn't know that. And produced about $345,000 worth of uh, silver and lead. Now, are the mines themselves still there? or From what I've read, there's really nothing left there. I mean, you they might They covered see, them up? I guess. There might be some tailings or something, but as I far see. as... There's probably some of that, but as far as buildings, there's nothing left. I'm trying there. to think how to get there. Yeah, I, well, you go up to Haley and then uh, take a road out take, of Haley back to the east, don't yeah, you? Back yeah, back to the east, about 20 miles, and yeah. I, I'm going to put that on my list for next summer. Well, take me along. Okay, that'd okay. be a fun four wheeler ride. Yeah. Well, anyway, when the secret of the location of the Muldoon became known, people flocked into the district, and pretty soon, uh, actually, Muldoon was sold to an eastern syndicate, which immediately started the city uh, itself. Yeah, the the mine. Well, yeah, I don't know that it really was a a city as much as just an area. I see. Just uh, the Muldoon area, and it was I sold. See. And these guys set up a smelter near the property so they could uh, get the the silver and the lead. Well, silver at that time was high, and lead commanded a good price. Those were the days when big things in a uh, in mining ways were done in a hurry. They they wanted to hurry and get get things taken care yeah. of. That's why they would haul in all this heavy equipment uh, to, to smelt her. Now, so. I'm going to ask a dumb question here. With the silver and the lead mining, did they go down into the earth or just back into the sides of hills? I, I do not know that. I don't, I don't know. Oh. Uh, but it, somehow it was discovered uh, by some people, and uh, whether it was just laying on top of the ground and they started digging, I, I don't know. Huh. But anyway, almost overnight, the ground was broken for the smelter, and before suitable roads could be completed, the machinery was on the ground. There were 12 large cement charcoal pits were built, and every available team and man was employed cutting and hauling wood to the charcoal pits. So they had to have a lot of wood to, for these smelters, okay? No, they must still be there. I don't know. Like I say, it says there's we got to go there. <laughs> We're going to have to. Well, anyway, this together with the men employed building the smelter uh, made quite an army of men, and pretty soon the town of Muldoon sprang into existence with its saloons, businesses, all that, 1,500 people. So a butcher by the name of Wise had a contract to supply the Muldoon company with meat, and he was the only butcher in camp. Now, it was Wise's habit to butcher the cattle or animals in the evening and allow them to stand uh, kind of in some uh, makeshift poles uh, over in a corral overnight so the meat could cool because they didn't have any uh, ice. So you had to uh, take care of the meat that was slaughtered. Well, one morning when the wagon was sent to the corral for beef, it was discovered that a bear had beaten them to it, had not only eaten what it wanted, but had pulled the beef to the ground, and after drying it around in the dirt and scratching and biting, it was no good. Hard to sell that. <laughs> it's hard to sell that. with, yeah. So there was a young German who was employed by Wise, the butcher, and he swore vengeance against the bear and said that night, uh, and that night he stationed himself in the corral with gun in hand waiting for the 
the bear. It was a bright moonlight night, and about 11 o'clock, well, the bear made his appearance, and it was at the same time, or a very few minutes later, that the young German made his disappearance. He Wait a took, minute, the guy ran away? He took off, yeah. A coward. Did he have a gun with him? <laughs> he did. Oh. When he reached the first saloon not too far away, he reported that the bear was as big as an ox, and the last time he saw him, he was juggling beef hides. <laughs> and so he went to the saloon to reinstill his courage. I think he was just plumb scared to death. Yeah. Well, okay, the next morning revealed the evidence that the bear had returned, and finding no meat, had amused himself tearing and noshing the fresh hides at the hide rack. Uh, it was daylight and the young german had regained his nerve and again swore vengeance against the bear here we go and a happy thought entered his mind he would enlist the help of a guy named schwartz oh see now the plot thickens schwartz whom he knew had some bear experience all right schwartz (laughs) schwartz was a wood contractor who with his two young boys and a yoke of oxen was cutting and hauling wood to the charcoal pits okay so you got it how now what's the guy's name schwartz Schwartz and and the other german and and the other guy we just call him the german the german the young german so those are the two guys we're talking about okay well the young german told schwartz what he wanted He said, by appointment at early candlelight, he met the young German at the slaughter pen. Schwartz was carrying a double-barreled shotgun and swore that he had put 22 buckshot in each barrel. Now, at this point, uh, uh, Schwartz was a German, too. Okay, so these two Germans kind of got in a little bit of an argument. Schwartz was in favor of making their bed under the hide rack where the bear was sure to come. Under? Under. Uh, that might not have been a good idea. The young German, fa- <laughs> I'm with this guy, the young German favored making their bed in the corral since that would offer some protection. So I'm with this guy. Did they have a tall platform? Uh, no. No. Oh. So uh, Schwartz was determined and the young German uh, uh, yielded, but it was a little before 11 o'clock, the appointed time for the bear. The young German insisted that he had to go to the saloon not far away and get a bottle of liquor to kind of enliven his spirits and, 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 and his courage. In other words, he was scared to death. He was scared to death. So during his absence, a shot like the roar of a cannon rang out. Well, word soon went around that Schwartz had shot the bear or had shot at the bear or something. Good. And heavens. under the leadership of the young German, everyone that was away in the camp proceeded to the slaughter pen and what did they find i'm gonna tell you okay (laughs) the night was cloudy and quiet (laughs) at the slaughter pen build it up man (laughs) i'm I'm working on it (laughs) and no one was brave enough to approach close because they were afraid that schwartz might mistake them for a bear and shoot buckshot right it is dark you know pretty much well um or if the bear had killed schwartz he still might be holding the fort and (laughs) would be bad company to run into so, after, so they all went to the saloon. <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Okay. <laughs> so after considerable calling and whistling, Schwartz appeared. So excited he could not speak either English or German. Finally, he cooled down enough to relate that the bear had come so quietly that Schwartz did not know of his presence until this big form appeared standing up on his hind feet 10 or 12 feet away from him. Well, 
from a sitting position, and I'm not sure why he was in a sitting position, he fired one bell barrel into this bulky body, and then a great commotion started as the bear began fighting the earth and throwing dirt and gravel and just going all over the place, almost blinded old Schwartz, uh, who held his position. He was ready to fire the other barrel. And he's on the ground. Yeah, he's sitting on the ground with his shotgun. Um, Did anybody ever check his sanity? <laughs> well, in a few minutes, everything was quiet and uh-huh. remained so until the crowd reached the scene. I see. Got it? Got yeah, the picture? I do. So, with caution, the crowd approached the hydrack. Got it. A fire was built, and the evidence of the conflict showed that the bear, in its agony, had dug and thrown dirt until Schwartz's bed was almost covered with soil, gravel, blood. The loose earth showed that the bear was bleeding at the mouth, and at daylight, finally, he was found dead a few yards away with this twenty-two buckshot in the vicinity of his lungs. Okay. Wow. Uh, we're not done, Zeb. Wait a minute. You got the bear. No, no. We're, we're going on. <laughs> Back to the saloon. <laughs> not yet. Schwartz, with the aid of his ox teams and a log chain, loaded the bear on the wood rack, drove it to the smelter where they, it tipped the scales at nearly 900 pounds. Holy moly. So, that was bear number one. Now we're going to bear number two. I didn't know there yeah, was two. I know. That's why I don't tell you ahead of time. Oh. So it was during the last days of September, and bear were putting on fat, getting ready for their winter. Schwartz was uh, was an old friend of this Charles Walgamoth that I've talked about. Yeah. So he knew Schwartz. All right? So there were more than one bear. Yeah. So, anyway, Schwartz was an old friend of, of this Charles Walgamont, and he sent a piece of the meat to, to Charles's house. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're getting choked up I over know. this. And it was a choice cut off the loin, and uh, say uh, it was about nine inches of pure fat uh, on that piece of meat, and he said, this my wife trimmed off to render out. In other words, boil. So knowing that this was a very old bear, she concluded to boil it until tender and then roast it. She tells me that she remembers that at intervals of about every hour, she was compelled to skim off the grease. And after boiling the meat for two days, she had every vessel in the house full of bear grease and the meat was tough as ever. (laughs) Holy smoke. Sounds really delectable to me. Okay, here we go. And about this time, word filtered to the camp that the Muldoon mine was about done. It was towards the end of its life. And almost immediately, all the work shut down. The camp was beginning to depopulate. But it had enabled Schwartz and his two boys to make a good winter's grub steak. And the bear incident had encouraged Schwartz to attempt to capture the biggest and shrewdest bear that had ever been encountered in the Sawtooth Mountains. Word had reached Schwartz that up on the Bigwood River above Ketchum, a bear had often been seen that was uh, that experienced mountain man pronounced the biggest and most cunning animal of the bear family that they had ever seen. A great many attempts had been made to shoot or trap this bear, but he'd never been shot or caught, and they named him Idaho Jack. And this is bear number two. This is bear number two. This is his story. So it was on a beautiful October day that Schwartz and his two sons went into camp on Big Wood River, some distance above Ketchum, and in the neighborhood of where he had been informed that the bear, Idaho Jack, made his home. 
He was impatient to get into Jack's haunts and learn something about his habits. And as soon as the temporary quarters had been established, he left the boys to put the camp in shape for a permanent stay while he scouted out the country. Now, there was no snow excepting high up on the mountains on the first few days' investigation, so he really didn't find anything. And, you know, hunters, you know this, elk and deer hunters and bear hunters, they like to have a little skiff of snow on the ground so they can follow some tracks. Sure. So... Anyway, uh, occasionally he would find where some bear had been busy turning over rocks for bugs and worms, but the ground was hard, and the bear left no track to indicate his size. But Schwartz was kind of getting familiar with the country by now. So Schwartz is the uh, bear hunter. Haley bear hunter. <laughs> yeah, catch him. Baby, okay. Yeah. Well, one day he was out, he discovered evidence that he felt sure was the work of the big bear. A stump that had been pulled over and loose, uh, disturbed for worms. uh, No, wait a minute. If you see a stump that's been turned over by a bear, wouldn't your first inclination be, run? out of here. Run. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he figured this was Idaho Jack. Now, if he could get uh, good tracking snow so he could follow, he thought that would be good. Now, he was confident that he could shoot and kill Idaho Jack, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted to capture Idaho Jack alive. Capture? Yeah. And he was just a, a little undecided as to the best method to trap this bear. Oh. I know how to catch one of those polar bears, but I can't tell you on the radio. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so he wanted to catch him, but when caught, there would be the danger of uh, so badly crippling him that he would have to be killed, and he didn't want to do that. So each day, Schwartz would go out and look for more evidence of the, of the prize while the boys were putting the camp in shape, and uh, he was uh, just kind of checking out Idaho Jack's territory. Well, it was just after a light fall of snow that Schwartz found the warm trail of Idaho Jack, and it was a whopper, and for several hours, Schwartz leisurely followed this big track as it lumbered through the timber and the rocks, occasionally stopping to tear up some rocks and get some worms and ants and stuff. But anyway, Schwartz knew that he had at least 30 or 40 days to get this prize before winter set in and the bear went into uh, hibernation. Yeah. Now, he decided he was going to use a still trap, a pretty good-sized one with still, still jaws. You've seen those, those great big bear oh, traps. Oh, yeah. And he was aware that it might wound the bear, so he figured on having a way to, uh, to take care of the bear once he was captured. Now, the first preparation, of course, was a cage. So they made a big cage with iron gratings, doors, and then he also got some chloroform. Okay. Yeah, knock him out. And some bandages. Uh Uh-uh. Okay? Yeah. Uh, When everything was ready, they headed out, and each time he found the trap, it had been sprung, no bear. No bear. Well, on the morning of the second day, he found the trap was sprung. It was laying in plain sight at the end of the uh, chain, no no bear. Well... Four day, for a few days after that, uh, he kept going back, and finally uh, things looked a little different. When one morning he went to his trap, and here was this big, bulky form of Idaho Jack, rose to a standing position, and with that huge trap fastened to one of his f- front feet. Schwartz stopped some distance away. The bear growled and kind of made a l- little effort to escape, but uh, he-, he didn't. He was in pain. So the well, bear, wouldn't you if you had I your leg so. in a bear trap? Yeah, well, and Schwartz knew that uh, Idaho Jack was in great agony with his foot, yeah. and so he wanted to act quickly. So he uh, hurried back to camp. He got the stuff he needed, the sponges, the bandages, the chloroform, uh, all that stuff, and the, his sons drugged the cage over there. Well, when they came near the bear, made some struggles, but the foot was giving him so much pain that he finally just kind of allowed them to 
come close to him. They got within 10 or 12 feet of the bear, and with the aid of a stick or a pole, uh, they saturated uh, a rag with this chloroform, put it up to the bear's nose, and pretty soon the bear went to sleep. You hope. <laughs> yeah. Well... Quickly, the foot was released from the trap, dressed with clean bandages. The, Schwartz was, you know, he was kind of a humanitarian. Yeah. But a chain was put around his body, and with the aid of the oxen, he was dragged into the cage. And when Idaho, Idaho Jack came to, he was in Schwartz's camp. He had adapted himself to the conditions for an old bear. But it was surprisingly how tenderly Jack handled the sore foot, uh, and uh, Idaho Jack didn't mess around with the bandages. Now... You've been around animals, you know, even horses. Yeah. If you've got a bandage somewhere, usually they're going to yeah, rub, on it. rub it off. Yeah. But he didn't. Uh, he seemed to acknowledge Schwartz's superiority. Who changed the bandages? He did. Schwartz yeah. did? Yeah, but what he would do is he would use chloroform each time. Knock him out. Knock him out. Okay. Well, anyway, Idaho Jock was sometimes called a silver tip bear, but most of them said no, he was just a, a cinnamon bear. Well, Schwartz kept Idaho Jack uh, at different Wood River towns for exhibition, um, adding to his collection other animals like bobcats, foxes, lynx, things like that. Well, when displays of Idaho pro- products were being gathered for the New Orleans uh, Exposition in 1885, Governor Shoup of Salmon City, who later became the last territorial and first elected state governor of Idaho, he took an interest in old Idaho Jack, and he offered to have uh, all these animals taken to this uh, exposition in New Orleans. Well, they did end up taking the bear down there to New Orleans, but Idaho Jack was pretty ill-tempered. In fact, he was kind of mean, mean enough that they decided, you know, maybe we shouldn't bring him in amongst all these people at this uh, exhibition, exposition thing. So anyway, uh, the the things uh, went on and eventually Schwartz sold Idaho Jack and he came back to Idaho, started a dairy farm in Haley, and we don't really ever know what really happened. You don't even know if they turned the bear loose. Don't know what ever happened to him. He sold the bear Oh, my. Uh, and so he could still be out there. He could be. Oh. Out there. You better be careful, Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the story. That's the story of Idaho Jack, one wow. of the meanest, honoriest, smartest bears in Idaho. And uh, anyway, I, I think Schwartz is kind of a kind of an ingenious guy to be able to figure out how to how to capture the yeah, bear no kidding. without hurting it. Without hurting it bad, worse, really. yeah. yeah. Wow, the story of Idaho Jack. Thank yeah. you very yeah. much. Now, uh, I'm sure you already have preparation for your story next week. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you uh, for the excellent job you do. Dr. History, Dr. Ken Turner, and this segment, very popular all around the world. I don't know how many countries listen, but you've got a great audience. It's been fun. I've gotten uh, emails back from, actually, I got an email back from a guy that's in the military in, I think it's Iraq. Wow. Right now. Wow. Well, we'll plan on seeing you next Tuesday. You bet. I'll All be right. here. Dr. History.